October baseball is here. Oh my God, what a week it's been! I I don't even want to banter. I just I'm just so excited. I'm just like so ready. I'm juiced. I'm juiced. <laughs> just had my coffee. I just ate some chocolate covered coffee beans. <laughs> I got the energy from October baseball flowing through my veins right now. It's been such a like week and a half. It's funny because we started this podcast over the summer when it was kind of lazy, and then we just kind of like dragged along, and we were bantering about our bullshit for like so long. And now October rolls around, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, we have to be doing this every second of every day. Yeah. And then we're going to have like six months to rest, right? But for now, it's like we have to eat, breathe, sleep baseball, and yeah. I love it. Have to? Yeah, get to. Fair. We, we get to eat, sleep. We're recording this on a Tuesday, and we had 12 straight hours of postseason baseball yesterday. That's, ah. This is why I love this time of year. I need to like slow down. Yeah, we're like still on the high. Like, <laughs> we're like, let's do this. Let's do it. <laughs> so yeah. So a little bit later, we're gonna get into some of our favorite things that have happened so far um, in this 2017. Everything. Season. Everything. Yeah. I love all of it. True. Put the video of Archie Bradley tripling to the gap and sliding into third, and his helmet falling off. Oh Shoot that God. into my veins, please. <laughs> <laughs> but before we do that, we wanted to talk a little bit about something that we sort of got into a little bit of a spat about like an hour ago um, when we were talking about what we were going to talk about for this show. So at the request of the right-wing MAGA media who says we're in our liberal echo chamber and we agree too much on this podcast, we're going to uh, talk about pitcher usage and uh, the use of the long reliever and yeah. the starters. And because that's, I feel like that's been such a topic of this postseason and you can't go anywhere on any broadcast without talking about how Severino got pulled after one out and, uh, it's been a chaotic playoffs, right? Because none of the pitchers who we have deemed to be the best in baseball have been very good. Corey Kluber, Chris Sale. I mean, these guys yeah. gave up. I mean, I don't know what their combined ERA was. We probably could have come prepared with like a number. <laughs> um, but like none of them have been very good. So at least for the first few days of playoff baseball, it was like all bullpen games. And, you know, if Joe Girardi can manage his bullpen and win this game like you know this puts to rest any argument that he doesn't know how to manage the bullpen or whatever right it's like bullpen which was a bullshit argument he's been great with the bullpen but yeah um it helps when you have the best bullpen yeah but we've just i think been seeing this continuing trend of the bullpens taking on more of a role in the playoffs just over the last few years it's like more and more um and I'm not I'm not saying it started with Madison Bumgarner, but I feel like the way that the Giants used Madison Bumgarner a few years ago, I think other teams saw that and were like, oh, wait, we can we can do that, too. Wait, why aren't we just throwing our best pitcher out there? Um, and the Dodgers did that with Kershaw, I think, last year. Yeah. Um, against the Nationals. Yeah. Who a little bit later in the podcast, we're going to have a friend of ours on. Uh, to talk, he's a Nationals fan, and uh, to talk a little bit about the struggle of that fandom. But before we do, I want to get your take on this. I mean, clearly we're seeing managers straying away from their regular season strategy for the playoffs because obviously these games are so high leverage and they just can't afford to let a flat Luis Severino go 
seven innings and give up seven runs. So what is your feeling on this, and what is your feeling about how it's going to manifest itself over the next few years of regular season and postseason baseball? I mean, I think that we are in an age where we're seeing pitcher usage change, just like on its face, the way that pitchers are used now and the way that bullpens are used now just is not, I think we can both agree, is different from how it was um, 15, 20 years ago. And I, I read you this quote a little earlier, but I do want to bring it up, and it's from Brian Bannister, who's the Red Sox VP of Pitching Development. And it's from a Jeff Passan Colin. And Bannister says, I almost wonder if we're getting to a point where roles aren't defined. I'm not a starter. I'm not a reliever. In the postseason, I get outs. And, I mean, there's a very clear distinction between the regular season, the long haul of, you know, 162 games, and then all of a sudden you get to the postseason where the the games aren't every single day and you have a little more rest and, and you're also only using um, basically three starters but I feel like we are, the divide has become so clear um, as evidence yesterday by the way that we had a Chris Sale Verlander matchup from like the fourth <laughs> inning on. <laughs> so weird. Uh, so bizarre. And, you know, AJ Hinch kind of got burned by that decision. Um, Still worked out for him. Yeah. But I do think we are seeing a divide where the the game has evolved so much and the pitchers have evolved so much that these roles are just changing. We're seeing more teams want an Andrew Miller type player, a Chris Davinsky type player, that kind of shut down guy who's maybe a former starter who can go three or four innings for you. Chad and Green. Chad Green. Give you that um, mop up or, or not mop up, but like those shut down innings. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I and I am inclined to say that I think that this is going to kind of change how we look at the roles of pitchers going forward. I'm not saying we're only going to need two starters from here on out, but I think we might see an increased role of the, um, you know, long middle relief guy, the the Chris Davinsky, the Chad Green, more of those guys popping up. See, I think where I stray a little bit away from that thinking is that I feel like this mentality is almost confined to the postseason. Because while I agree that like the regular season pitcher usage has obviously changed as well, I just don't know if these relief guys can hold up throwing this many innings over the whole course of a year, especially with the increased velocity and the increased injuries that have come from it, because you tend to see relievers throwing a little harder than your starters, um, especially these kind of these kind of relievers that we've seen the Yankees use. You know, like last night, the Yankees did not have a pitcher throw under 96 mile an hour fastball. Ridiculous. <laughs> which is like, that's just not fair. But I feel like we've almost reached a critical point with the regular season where I'm not sure how much further this can go because a lot of starters or a lot of managers are very quick to pull their starters as it is now. And while I agree that in the postseason, this is obviously the best strategy. There's no reason to let Luis Severino give up five runs in the wild card game and immediately knock yourself out of contention for this game. But in the regular season, you just got to let them struggle through that because I feel like you can't, expect Chad Green to come in and throw 60 pitches and then be ready to throw a few days later and because of the constraints of a roster I I just don't think that a team could amass enough good relievers to the point where these relievers are so much better than the starters that you have enough of them to really bring in in this Andrew Miller style role and I know you kind of disagree with me in that sentiment and that that it's not going to go too much further in the way that managers are using their relievers but to me 
I still feel like I need I need the starter to throw a certain amount of innings just because if not, then we're just going to see the injury share of pitchers swing the pendulum towards the other end and you're going to see a lot of relievers getting hurt, whereas now we see a lot of starters getting Tommy John. And so I, I just feel like, yes, this is very fun to see in the postseason. Like, I, I was freaking out when it was Chris Sale versus Justin Verlander. But when you see Clayton Kershaw get up in the bullpen, like, I know I said earlier, like, shoot, Archie Bradley triples into my veins, but come on, I'd much rather have Clayton Kershaw in the bullpen coming in for the save. But I don't know how much, I mean, obviously you can't use a starter as a, both a starter and a reliever, someone like Clayton Kershaw, and expect him to throw seven innings and then throw on his off days. That's just, that's insane. You're asking for them to get injured at that point. But I don't know how many of these long reliever types there really are. Like, I think Andrew Miller and Chris Davinsky are almost the exception. And if they had been able to be starters and still pitch at the level that they were at, then that's what they would be because then they would add more win probability to their team over the course of a year. We've sort of, I think personally that we've reached that equilibrium, maybe not perfectly. I mean, you might see a couple, a couple ticks more down in, you know, average starter length into the game, or average amount of outs gotten by a starter, average pitches thrown by a starter, right? But I, I think that 100 pitch mark is going to remain around the same for a limit that a starter can go. And whether that comes now in the fifth inning or the sixth inning or the seventh inning or if someone's cruising, I think pitchers are going for a lot more strikeouts, so they're not making it as far into the game because they're throwing more pitches to try to get those strikeouts. But to me, this this type of bullpen use strategy would blow up in your face if you tried to do it over the course of a 162-game regular season. I I will admit that, at least for now, this might be limited to teams who have like a wealth of pitching, right? A team like the Indians or a team like the Yankees who can afford to use these types of... Or a team like the Astros who can afford to use these pitchers in these type of roles because they don't need them to be their third starter or whatever, right? Um, I mean, the Astros kind of do need them to be their third starter, right? The Astros don't have a great starting rotation. Yeah, but I think that we're still kind of seeing the value that... And again, I I agree with you that Andrew Miller may be the... uh, outlier at one end of the spectrum right not every team is going to accumulate a million andrew millers right <laughs> but i don't see the harm in uh, trying it out at least right i mean we saw what the dodgers did this year where they were run letting their starters pitch fewer innings because they were crafty with the dl and they were um you know maybe using up extra roster spots for pitchers or whatever and Kenta Maeda was pretty much capped at like five innings um, there in the stretch run. Kenta Maeda, who was awesome in relief last night. Yeah. Um, But like, exactly. I think that maybe you see teams trying different things out. If you're like, hey, we have six good starting pitchers. We're going to convert this guy. But who has six good starting pitchers besides the Dodgers is my point. Okay, I guess. But if you have a prospect who doesn't pan out or something like that, why do you be like, I'm going to convert him to just like the our seventh inning guy? But and- doesn't that already happen? My See, my point is that like the Dodgers pushed it to its logical limits this season, in my view. Anything more, if you're having your starter go like only four innings, anything more at that point, you're really pushing your bullpen too far. And not many teams can amass enough relievers where – they are still putting good enough pitchers out there for long enough stretches of time to win who these pitchers would not already be starters. But if if you have a four or five guy in your rotation who's like, say, average to below average, okay, and you have a 
you know, former prospect or whatever, or a good starting pitcher in your bullpen. Obviously, and this is maybe limited to guys who used to be starters before, which most pitchers at this point usually were at one point or another. Why not stretch that guy out two or three innings and take some of the load off that pitcher and be like, hey, you were a former prospect. You used to throw 180 innings, but you weren't very good at it. We're going to shift you to the bullpen. You're going to throw 90, 100 innings this year, uh, add a couple miles per hour to your fastball, and really be that impact piece who can take some innings off our best starting pitchers and lessen the injury risk there. I mean, if you're shifting, you are making the argument that that bullpen piece is less valuable than a good starting pitcher. So why not use him to shift some of the injury risk off the pitcher and be like, you know, Syndergaard, you're awesome, but we want you going out there and throwing five innings and we're going to cap you at 80 pitches because we think this is better for your arm and then bring in Chad Green and to throw those two innings that you would have otherwise or those three innings you would have otherwise. Well, because with that, there are not that many former prospects. Like, I think what you're talking about is ideal, right? But I, I don't think that sweet spot that you're referring to is as big as maybe we think it is because of this postseason, because we're seeing the eight best teams in the MLB with the, like eight of the best bullpens, right? So there's a there's such a concentration of relievers onto good teams because now with the way that they're being used in the postseason, good teams want to go get that reliever. That's why the Rockies trade for a guy like Pat Neshek, and that's why the Phillies even signed a guy like Pat Neshek because they knew they would trade him. They didn't sign him because they, that he was going to help their team win that year. They didn't want to win. So I think what you're saying is ideal in a way, but... I mean, the Mets are not finding relief pitchers who used to be starting pitchers who will be good over 100 innings. They're just not. I mean, can you name someone from the Mets bullpen who would be good over 100 innings any better than they were over 60 innings or 50 innings? No. So I, I think a lot of these teams don't but have... But is, is that a fault on the strategy or is that a fault on like player evaluation? I don't know. Because they found a wealth of starting pitching. I mean, two or three years ago, uh, coming into the year, we were like this team has the potential to have the best starting rotation in baseball if they can stay healthy, right? Yeah. So so what are you suggesting, though, that they take some of the starters and move them to the bullpen? Uh, maybe. I mean, why not do that with Robert Gesellman? But like, then who starts for the, who's their fifth starter? I don't know. Pick pick your league average guy. But so my point with that, though, is that they can't find that league average guy. That's what they wanted Gesellman to be. So so then they're throwing out Chris Flexen, who would be another good candidate to do what you're talking about. But they still cannot find that fifth rotation guy. And so many teams across the league cannot find that guy. That's why you see so many teams with bad rotations. I mean, yes, I agree that the bad organizations are doing a good job, or the bad organizations are doing a bad job of evaluating some players. And, and that's why you see the Astros and the Dodgers with a wealth of talent, because they are good at evaluating talent and they know who to get, right? But it is the league is not egalitarian enough where enough teams can do what you're talking about so that it would change so that it would change a league-wide trend. And what I mean by that is that if the Mets decided to move Gesellman to the bullpen, it'd be great for the bullpen. The bullpen would do better. They moved Bartolo to the bullpen and he helped them out in 2015 somehow, right? And and they brought Syndergaard out of the bullpen and he made the bullpen stronger and he shut he shut the Dodgers down in a way that perhaps in a way that like Josh Smoker wouldn't have done had he been out there for them. Uh, sorry, Josh Smoker, we pick on you a lot during this <laughs> podcast. But at that point, then, so you have four starters. So what are you going to do? Who is better in their in their organization to bring up than Robert Gesellman would be 
every five days or Chris Flexen would be every five days or Steven Matz would be every five days. I guess what I'm saying is that then, then you're asking your starter to go every more often. Is that what you're saying? To only have four starters? No, but if you're throwing out your fifth best starting pitcher on any given day, I'm not saying you're expecting to lose, but like you're okay if you lose that game if like your good starting pitchers do well and you win those, right? So if you say, you know what, this fifth this fifth day, we're, it's going to be a wash, but we're going to take the guy, the mediocre guy who would have pitched that fifth day, Robert Gesellman, whoever, we keep using him, and I don't know if he would fit this model. Maybe he <laughs> would, maybe he wouldn't, right? But we get that guy and use him to bolster um, two or three of the other days and make those games even more of a quote-unquote sure thing than they would have been before. And you say, you know what, that fifth day, maybe it's a bullpen day. Maybe it's a day that we pay a little less attention to. But on those other days, we're going to have Noah Syndergaard go five innings, and then we're going to have another former starter come out of the bullpen and fill in those other innings for him. I guess what I'm questioning with that, though, is that you're are we just assuming that these guys who failed as starters are going to be appreciably better once they get to the bullpen i mean i know there's a uptick there'll be an uptick in velocity but not every failed starter is going to be better as a reliever you know what i mean and there's almost just as much value to leaving cindergard in for the sixth and seventh because cindergard is great you know and yeah, you want to get you as have, much you have said yourself how much of an injury risk he is because he throws but i don't think 100. he's an injury risk because he's throwing 180 innings i think he's an injury risk because he's throwing 103 miles an hour I think if you lowered his velocity by like four miles an hour, three, four miles an hour, he was throwing 96, 97 instead of 99, one range, I really think he would not get hurt as often. I, I really, truly believe that. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Like maybe there's not enough conclusive evidence either way right now. But I really think in terms of win probability added to your team, Cindergard for a sixth and seventh inning would be better than Flexen for the sixth and seventh inning just because he's played up a couple miles an hour while moving to the bullpen. And I know that we keep using these guys as examples and they're not perfect examples, right? But the Mets are not finding Andrew Miller. They're not finding Chris Stavinsky. They're not paying those guys for sure. And so they're already paying Syndergaard. So they want him to go out there for the sixth and seventh inning. I just think that this, this strategy can only work in the right situation. And I feel like the Dodgers have found the right situation, but they also have a $350 million payroll and they can afford to pay a guy coming out, a, a seventh or eighth starter coming out of the bullpen, starter money. But the Padres can't do that. The uh, A's can't do that. The Mets can't really do that. I mean, they can, but they won't. I, I just feel like for the bullpen, I mean, for the postseason, this is an awesome strategy. But I still believe in innings eaters, and I still believe in the starters having to come out and go at least six or seven, just because what you said is that on the fifth day, that sounded biblical on the fifth day god woke up and he created bullpens but on the fifth day if you throw out some shitty starter for the first three to five innings right then you've probably or or if it's just a bullpen day so say you throw out uh some shitty starter and he goes two or three innings and you're losing four or one at that point right so the rest of that game you already are not likely to win because you're losing because you threw out a shitty starter and the rest of it is going to be a bullpen game, but those bullpen guys that you're using on the fifth day are also going to need to be used on days one, two, three, and four. And I really feel like you're going to burn them out if you go if you give them a bullpen day every fifth day. I don't really think that they're going to be ready to help you win the games that you're saying 
you'll be more likely to win by having Syndergaard go five innings. I mean, I'm not saying that I think every fifth day has to be a bullpen day. I think you can still throw a starting pitcher out there if you want that you just don't care about. Where you're like, you're. <laughs> I mean, a lot of teams are doing that though, right? Yeah. So, so what? What in the future do you think is going to change, though? You just think it's going to swing more in that direction? I just think we'll see more teams pursuing an Andrew Miller-type play, or at least get trying that experiment out, right? That's not going to hit with everyone. And again, the teams who have a wealth of starting pitching or whatever are probably going to benefit from this sort of thing more. We see relievers throwing more innings now than they really ever have before. I mean, we see it happening with closers, right? It's like we're just going to bring our closer in with one out in the eighth and have him go an inning in two-thirds. I think we, with um, just this kind of analytics revolution and the way we're thinking about like whether or not your reliever throws another 15 or 20 pitches is really not going to make that much of a difference, no, like, I agree. If, if we're being honest. Yeah. Um, and so I think managers are like, why not stretch him out? Why not have our reliever go two innings instead of one? Because like... What is like? What's the worst that happens when you throw Dallin Batances out there for a second inning? Yes, I so I agree with that on a game to game basis. But like I said before, I think in the aggregate, in a full 162 game ridiculously long baseball season, I really think a lot of these guys have been moved to the pen because they are not either a not effective over a long stretch in a game, or b they cannot hold up for that many innings over the course of a season. And so I, I really think that the pendulum would swing, like I said earlier, from starting pitchers being the most injured because they're throwing the most innings to relievers who are already in a compromised position because they've been moved to the bullpen perceivably for a reason, right? Because they could not throw uh, a starter's innings load. They could not put that workload on them. So if you throw Dylan Batances for two innings instead of one over the course of a full season, maybe, I mean, Dylan Batances is a freak, so... But maybe he gets injured more, and then at that point you have nothing in your bullpen. But you, you're arguing that the pitchers, that starting pitchers, add more win probability. So why not at least take the chance of shifting that risk to a somewhat valuable reliever who is adding less win probability? Like what? Like where is the harm in doing that? In saying. Because you're saying that relievers may start getting hurt more. Wouldn't you want that as opposed to Syndergaard, as opposed to DeGrom, as opposed to Harvey? Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> but <laughs> Throws out every Mets pitcher who's gotten also, hurt over the last few years. God damn it. <laughs> but also, but then, then you have no bullpen. I think you overestimate how many good relievers there are, and maybe I'm underestimating how many good relievers there are, but I really don't feel like you can just go find these guys that we've been naming. I feel like you're a lot more likely to find Josh Smoker, or you're a lot more likely to find... Uh, who's another bad, bad reliever? I I don't know. Like you're a lot more likely to find Sammy Solis. He throws really fucking hard, but he's not good. You know what I mean? And so maybe in theory that like looks good, but then at that point, then you have no bullpen at all if everyone is just getting hurt. I but I just don't think that would happen if you added twenty innings or 30 innings to your reliever's workload that like that is going to exponentially increase the chances of them getting hurt. Maybe it will a little bit because it's a more of a workload than they're used to, but what if instead of thinking of it as like a 60 inning reliever becoming a 90 inning reliever, it's like a 180 inning starter becoming a 100 inning starter. See like I see I don't know. I, I feel like we've already reached so, so this is where we kind of separate so we both agree that we want the best pitcher out there 
Not I actually, best. I actually want a, a not as good pitcher out there. <laughs> Josh Smoker, <at> his worst. <laughs> so we both, so we both agree that we want the best pitcher out there at his best, right? So a starter in his at his hundred fiftieth pitch is not as good as a reliever at his tenth pitch, right? But I think where we diverge, kind of, is that I already believe that starters have sort of found that sweet spot of I'm effective for five to six innings. And then I'm gonna turn it over after 100 pitches, right? I don't. I think if we went any further than that, then we are minimizing the uh, we're minimizing the workload of a starter too much to the point where now we're putting it too much on the bullpen. I, I just don't think that they're in an ideal world, like in a computer simulation, you have 10 pitchers and the, or or you have whatever you have 12 pitchers and they all pitch three inning chunks and you use three pitchers per game and they're all perfect all the time, right? But that's just not the way pitchers are built, I don't think, and I don't think that trending more towards that direction is ne- going to necessarily fix it. Like I think we are in the middle point between that ideal simulation world and between like 1950 when they were just throwing 200 pitches per start. I think we've kind of found that spot. So I don't think I think maybe in the future MLB will trend towards what you're talking about, but I don't think it'll be too much of a useful trend, so I don't think it'll really last. I mean, I don't think that this will fundamentally change the way we look at pitchers and we'd be like, you know, in the year 2040, there is only one starting pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think that we will see managers <laughs> He throws 3 innings every single day. <laughs> I think we'll start to see managers get a little more creative and be willing to like break this norm that doesn't exist for any reason. Why does your reliever have to throw one inning? That's yes. that's just like this thing that managers started doing for really no reason just cuz it like it makes sense and it looks clean on the scoreboard. <laughs> I mean on the box score, right? Is your reliever think, has one inning. I think inning. good managers have reached that point. I think Dave Roberts and the Dodgers organization as a whole, I mean, I think a lot of what we're talking about is coming from a higher level than just the manager on the field. And he's saying, like, don't fucking use your starter past the fifth inning or don't use your starter past the past 95 pitches or whatever. And I think, like, Terry Francona does this well. And, you know, Joe Madden probably does this pretty well. I think a lot of the frustration that you're probably having, and while I, I agree that relievers should be used in a better way and they should have a quicker hook with starters, I just don't think that there are enough believers that can just come in and platoon for like three innings. I don't, I don't know. I don't believe that there are that many of them out there. I think Andrew Miller is sort of a freak. I mean, I think that, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have an Andrew Miller, right? I mean, maybe we had one or two of them, but I do think that we're seeing more of them. And maybe that's just a factor of, maybe it's just like random. Maybe in 2017, we just happened to get a lot of <laughs> go- a lot of good relievers who can go long. But I think that it's... It is a significant change in the way that we look at how bullpens are used, right? It doesn't matter where you use your closer because what does a closer even mean? Yeah. Saves don't mean a single thing. So bring your closer in for two innings in the seventh inning because the matchups are good or you think that he can make it work because he only pitched 10 pitches in the first inning. I think, I think, that, I think that we're breaking out of this norm of – your starter goes six innings, and then you use three relievers to get to the end of the game. Like, why? who says it has to be that way? Just bring in your good reliever and use him more. I mean, and this is a can of worms if we get into what I'm about to say, so we won't because we're sort of running out of time on this segment. But that is also going to take more than just changing the way we talk about these things and changing changing the way that managers use these players. That's going to take something f- higher. 
from Major League Baseball, it's going to take a depreciation of what a save means because these guys think about saves and they think about money. And their agents think about saves and they think about how long is my next contract. So if that doesn't change, really re- usage is not going to change because at the end of the day, it's about money. This will be something that's interesting to see over the next few years. And I don't think there's going to be one answer. I think it's going to change team to team. I think some teams will have their crop of guys who they can use relievers heavier and they just have bad starters. And I think that already exists, but I think there probably will be more of a dichotomy between those two mindsets. So it'll be cool. It's possible. I just think that we'll see more teams giving this a shot, honestly. And it may not signal a league-wide trend that changes everything but i think we'll probably see more teams being like hey it worked for them why not give it a shot with our guy our reliever's good for one inning he can probably be good pretty good for two all right maga media are you satisfied we got into it a little bit there maga media (laughs) (laughs) uh when we come back our buddy our former roommate zach martin one and only resident nationals fan Uh, so as promised, our second guest, this is too straight now, Alex. This is we're slowly giving up all the power to our podcast to guests. And pretty soon we won't even be on it at all anymore. Yeah, it's it's literally just going to be guest hosts from here on out. <laughs> we actually we have a really good one this week though. This, I'm I'm really excited. This was quite a get for us, if yeah. I'm being honest. This is what happens when you get famous. You just don't even do your own shows anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zach, what's up? What's up, guys? It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Who the hell are you? How do you know us? First and last name, <laughs> age, social address, security number. social security number. Well, my name is uh, Zach Martin. On Twitter, I am at Zach City. Nice. Um, <laughs> he knows Zach the drill. Zach, Zach with an H. Yeah. Yes. For those of you out there. Yes, please. He knows the drill. Yeah. See that? He's already promoing his <laughs> let's, Twitter. Let's be clear. It's Zach with an H. I originally know you guys through the, the newspaper that I'm sure your podcast listeners are familiar with. Yeah. Um, and then last year, we uh, we lived together. Yeah. We were roommates. Yeah. All three of us. Junior, junior year of college roommates. That's a big one. Junior year of college is sort of a mess. Yeah, that sticks with you. Those are your <laughs> friends for life. Those. Facts. Uh, so, Zach. But but we haven't seen you in like two or three weeks. So, <laughs> That's fair. That's not true. <laughs> That's fake news. I saw him like a few days ago. Maybe you should be a better former roommate. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, Zach, you are a fan of the Washington Nationals. Yes, a, a suffering fan of the Washington Nationals. Where are you from originally? I am from outside D.C. in Silver Spring, Maryland. So we wanted to have you on to talk about the sufferance that is being a Nationals fan. And we talk a lot about pain on this show because, as you know, I'm a Mets fan. Alex is an A's fan. And much of being a fan of those teams is just experiencing pain and dealing with it and internalizing it and then buying gear. So can you tell us a little bit about what it's been like to be a fan of the perennially disappointing in October Washington Nationals, just generally speaking? Um. I can tell you that, and I can also tell you that it's not just limited to the Nationals. Uh, being a D.C. sports fan in general is uh, pretty terrible. DC, I feel like D.C. doesn't get a ton of run for uh, like being the most tortured sports city. And I feel like I hear Cleveland a lot. Well, the Cavs yeah. won last year, but I feel like Cleveland I hear Cleveland. until very recently. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. D.C. doesn't get talked about a ton. I actually brought a statistic 
uh, with me today. One, just one. Statistic. No, I, I brought <laughs> I brought multiple statistics. Oh. <laughs> um, this is the ass. this is the <laughs> this is the analytics section of the podcast. Um, <laughs> I have a number. <laughs> so the last time a DC team in one of the four major sports leagues advanced to a conference finals. So being one of the last four teams. Now, the four major sports being cricket, <laughs> yes, um, water polo. Curling. Curling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was in 1998 when the uh, the Caps went to the Stanley Cup Finals and lost. <laughs> That's extremely depressing. <laughs> we were all like and, three um, years old. Like Since that run in 1998, the four teams have been within one round of the conference finals. 15 times. <laughs> Ouch. And lost. That's still not even that much. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. And uh, in 12 consecutive, like, final games, like, they need to win one more game to get in, they've lost. 12 like consecutive? Game, like a game five or a game seven. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so clearly a lot of pain for you. But yes. since this is a baseball podcast, this as it relates to the Nationals, I, I want to start from the beginning. What do you remember about when the Nationals first came to Washington? Were you excited? Were you just a young buck, very excited for your new baseball team? Yeah. Didn't even know that they were going to set you up for all this failure? So I, I before we had a team, I, I grew up a Yankees fan because my dad um, yeah, was a Yankees fan. Yeah. Well. 27 <laughs> rings! <laughs> um, but yeah, I was excited when, when the team first came. Um, we started going to games like almost immediately. I mean, the team was terrible to begin with. Yes. Um, That's why they got moved. Yeah, exactly. Moved from Montreal. But, um, you know, they slowly but surely, they started to get better. And, you know, recently they've been one of the best regular season teams, I think, in the past five or six years. But it has never translated to postseason success. Well, I mean, and right now they have one of the two top players in baseball in Jason Worth. <laughs> so, God damn it. <laughs> That's cruel and uncalled for. Uh, can I, wait, can I just ask real quick, what is it like having Bryce Harper on your team? Like, like at, <laughs> as the, the fan of a team who just has not had that caliber of a player. Not even that, just it, perennially has traded away that caliber of a player. Well, yeah. <laughs> but even just like, I, I can't remember um, having a player I was that excited about since like I don't know Eric Chavez or like Miguel Tejada in two thousand one two thousand two. So like, what is it like watching him just every day? Like, what sort of joy does that fill you with? <laughs> that's a great question. You know, uh... <laughs> I just want to say that's a great question. It better it warrants a great answer. So you better. <laughs> I'm not sure how to, it's, it feels. Pretty nice. Um... <laughs> okay. I will say that um, it's rare that I can bring up Bryce Harper in a conversation where someone doesn't talk about him going to the Yankees. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, well, you are in New York. Also, he is going to the Yankees. So. Yeah, that's pretty much. Well, they're going to make him shave his beard. That's Yeah, see, I'm rooting for him not to go to the Yankees because of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to see him go to the Red Sox. Let's make him a 100% true villain. The, <laughs> the new idea is maybe the Cubs. Ugh. Pretty much most teams, except for the A's and Mets, I think. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the conclusion our we're our coming contention. to. <laughs> I don't think that I could see Bryce Harper on the Padres. This this feels like an unfair segment for us to do. <laughs> Where is Bryce Harper going to end up for you? Mm. No, okay, but I want to ask you, has it been, I mean, obviously it's better to see your team winning and it's better to have hope every year, right? But mm. in a way, isn't it sort of worse for your team to continue to get closer and closer and to still just not 
quite get there. Like, yeah. don't you almost prefer like when you just drafted Harper and you just drafted Strasburg and you have all this because there's so much potential. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What what has that been like? The process of going from absolutely hopeless to a lot of potential, and now you're seeing the potential cash in, but you do you trust this team to cash in on that potential further? Um, I mean, we're talking right now. It's Tuesday. They're down two one. They have a game tonight. So yeah, they in have theory, a game this starting could all in a be couple moot. hours, and and all of my complaints will just be <laughs> <laughs> completely eradicated. But um, I mean, I remember when Strasburg was first drafted, um, and that was a like a big deal because that was our first number one overall pick, and he was supposed to be this amazing. He was supposed to be this this phenom, and then I I watched his first game, and he he like had so many strikeouts that. Their board in the outfield that kept track of strikeouts ran out of space. <laughs> so much free subway. <laughs> but it's not. It's not only that they that they seem to lose in the NLDS every year. It's that they continue to lose in the most ridiculous ways. You know, I, like when Drew Storen blew it, blew a game. Wow. Um, they seem to always lose in game five. <laughs> and now this year, when the whole team has seemingly forgotten how to hit the ball except for that one inning in game two. Um, I don't know. It just, it honestly just feels like we're cursed. What is fit? I don't understand it. (laughs) I do not. What is, what is fan culture like around the nationals? Cause okay. So I've been to one nationals game, no two nationals games, but in Nats park or yeah, just like in the greater DC area, are there like avid fans? I don't perceive them to be like one of the teams with a more like, rabid fan base like mm-hmm. I, I don't know they f- washington dc feels kind of lukewarm to them like yeah. washington dc loves the caps they love the wizard the wizards mm-hmm. i don't know to me like the nationals are sort of like they're new so like in a way that's probably why but yeah. do, do does the city really embrace them as well as they embrace the other teams also also dc's favorite sport is politics like let's be real <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> hashtag power rankings <laughs> um I mean, I certainly think, you know, because they're new and because they don't have this story tradition that they're of the teams in D.C., they're they're certainly in the in the lower tier of the popular of popularity. But I think we tend to rank like just sort of in the middle and in attendance. Um, I don't know how TV ratings are, if that even matters. But um, I mean, just walking around like I've seen in the past years more and more like Nats gear, Nats hats. But I certainly think if if a uh, if a Nats postseason game and a Washington football team regular season game are on at the same time, oh, I didn't time, even mention them. I didn't even think of them. <laughs> if they're on at the same time, I don't think the Nats game will uh, get more viewers. Well, the other thing to consider is like if you lived in that area, um, whatever, twenty years ago, before DC had a baseball team, you were probably just an Orioles fan, right? And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of people. That's a good point. I didn't even are, think about that. Are, and, are probably wary to like you know renounce their fandom in favor of this new team when it's like you know I've been an Orioles fan my whole life. Why am I going to change? Like even if there is a team in my city now, I'm going to keep up this fandom you know that has run in my family or whatever that is. Is yeah. there a big rivalry between those teams? Like obviously they don't play each other enough for it to be like a in-game rivalry, but in the way that like Mets Yankees is sort of a like fight for our city kind of rivalry. Mm-hmm. Do the Orioles and the Nationals fans sort of bicker in that way? Um, so they, they call it the Beltway Series. And I don't know, I mean, because they play in different leagues. Well, the Yankees and Mets do too. I don't That's, think The it's, Yankees it's and not... Mets is sort of more like a how much of an asshole New Yorker can you be? <laughs> and they like argue over that. Yeah. It's not as much of a rivalry. 
as Yankees Mets. I mean, it's also, you know, not the same city. I mean, the cities are close together, but it's not the exact same place. Um, there is tension between the organizations I'm aware of because there's some sort of thing with the TV contract. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, like the whole uh, <laughs> Masson rivalry. Yeah. The whole Masson rivalry or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's made it so that, like, I think the Nats have made a trade with every single baseball team except the Orioles. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I love that. I, res- I respect that yeah, so I'm much. all for that. <laughs> so petty. Did you ever get in any altercations with Orioles fans growing up? No. Did you ever get beat up for wearing Nats gear? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I don't tend to travel up to Baltimore so much. So, I mean, if you're an Orioles fan, like outside DC, you're you're probably in enemy territory. All right, let's uh, let's shift it towards the 2017 iteration of the Washington Nationals. I want to get your feelings on the sort of quasi controversy that was Dusty Baker's handling of Game Three. So he brought he took out Max Scherzer. Right. Many people yeah, feel after uh, Ben Zobers broke up the no hitter. Yeah, he took him out on the next the next batter, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of forced Madden's hand in pinch hitting for Schwarber. I don't want to like parse this too much because it was really a toss up, right? About what was the better decision. But just Dusty in general. I know you were frustrated with previous management of the team. Has mm-hmm. Dusty sort of cooled some of that frustration, or I think you know, in the positive aspects, he's been a huge morale boost. He's certainly a player's manager, and all of the guys really respect him and like to and like to work for him. Um, he's very old school and set in his ways. So, um, I mean, certainly like today, they just announced the lineup for Game Four, and it's pretty much the exact same thing with like one with like Jason Worth flipped to the second spot, which doesn't make really Jason make sense Worth to me. Second, t- um, twenty seventeen <laughs> in an elimination game. Doesn't oh really make sense to me. I think they should probably just take Worth out. But <laughs> where do you stand um, on Jason Worth? I, you know, I like him. He's sort as of a person. controversial. What? You like him as a person? Yeah, he's a oh. leader in the clubhouse. He's an asshole his, in the clubhouse. Like, his signing with the team kind of like symbolized their transition or the beginning of their transition into an actual contender. Just the fact but, that they you know, could like attract a free agent like that. He's past his prime. <laughs> Um, his contract is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Yo, um, on the on the topic of Dusty Baker, I want to say that I think my defining memory of him is like this this orange faded book that like my dad had, and it was just Dusty Baker like teaching you how to hit, as if you could learn how to hit from just like reading a book. You just like look at the photos. You're like, oh, like I get it now. But it was there was Dusty Baker in his like <laughs> old fashioned Giants uniform on, on the front being like, you're going to learn how to hit from this. And I'm like, I'm really probably not. But the pictures are pretty cool. <laughs> that sums it up pretty well. I mean, like that's probably how he manages. So he also claims to have invented the high five. What? Really? Yeah. This is a real thing. I don't remember what the story is, but we should link. Look this up. Someone yeah, look, look it up. up. Pause. So we're doing some research. <laughs> Alex is currently reading a, speed reading a Washington Post article. Well, this Washington Post article, he says, nope, wasn't me. <laughs> but, like, he had a hand in it. Um, but it seems like this says that Dusty Baker was an outfielder for the Dodgers. And Glenn Burke was, like, on deck behind Dusty Baker or something like that. And Dusty Baker hit 30 home runs and... Um, now you're just he, listing facts about his life. And he rounded the bases, and Glenn Burke like stuck out his hand, and Dusty Baker just like hit it, and everyone was like, "What? What was that? 
What, what did he just do right there? And I find it hard to believe that no one had hit hands together before Dusty Baker did it with Glenn Burke in like whatever year that you're referring to. Maybe the, maybe they just called it like two person clapping then. It was like it was like, oh, they just clapped together. Was it a high five or a low five? It it sounds like maybe it was like a mid five. <laughs> like he kind of stuck out the hand just like, like just hand directly level. horizontal. <laughs> this is so stupid. Uh okay. Back to serious discussion about baseball. Serious hashtag analysis. Yeah, because that's mostly what this is. It's very, very serious analysis Stern. Of, of baseball. That's yes. what I come to tipping pitches for. Mm-hmm. So say this team doesn't get it done. They don't win a World Series. Although I did predict them to win the World Series on our last podcast. I just will reiterate that. Maybe it's your fault. That Maybe. You, you jinx them. Oh, no. <laughs> I definitely didn't mean that. <laughs> Going forward... From the fans' perspective, what do you want them to do? Do you want them to continue to just run it back? Do you want them to uh, change up the core of the team? Do you think that it's just bad luck? I mean, you said the word cursed, so Mm -hmm. what do they need to do to break it? Or what does everyone want them to do to break it? Because I don't even have a perception of what like Nationals Twitter or Nationals fandom really feels about what they should do besides Mm -hmm. just like running it back. I mean, I really like don't understand what's going on with the team right now. And, like, why, I mean, they've been hitting, like, as a team under 100, I think, is their current batting average in the series, um, which is pretty nuts for being one of the best offensive teams in the regular season. Yeah, and and that's just to say, like, people were giving Dusty Baker shit for his managerial decisions or whatever, but, like, it wouldn't have made a difference if the Nationals could have scored more than one run. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not all on Dusty Baker. Like, you have one of the more high-powered offenses in baseball, so... I mean, I think there's maybe, like, if we just consider this year to be kind of just a weird fluke, then they have, like, one more year left in their window before Bryce's contract is up, before Daniel Murphy's contract is up. Um, oh, you didn't even mention him. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, they still have Scherzer and Strasburg signed through for a long time. Adam Eaton's been out the whole year. He'll be back next year, hopefully. Forgot all about him, too. <laughs> This team's pretty loaded, but I, I guess I'm just one. Yeah, I guess I'm just wondering like what is the thing that fans feel would be the catalyst to get over this hump? But it maybe is a little premature for that since they are still technically in this series, right? Yeah, I honestly don't know. I mean, certainly if they lose this series, there would be genuine questions about whether Dusty should stay on, and they haven't extended his contract probably specifically because of this, and trying to figure out how it's going to go because he doesn't seem to have much luck in the postseason. Yeah. Also, can't let you go without at least asking you about Daniel Murphy. How do you rationalize <laughs> morally rooting for Daniel Murphy? Because I had this experience for a few years, and you know, I feel like it's come to light a little more just how abhorrent some of his views towards the LGBTQ community are. So as a, as a fan who also cares about humans, <laughs> how's that been? Um, I, I can't really rationalize it. <laughs> I don't know what your justification was, but I mean... Uh, I think that that kind of just comes with being a sports fan at this point, right? Like, I feel like every team has some problematic people on it. True. I mean, what a depressing note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, do you have anything else? I mean, not really. I mean, I do want to like to echo your point, right? Like, every most of these players probably don't have great political views. Like, <laughs> let's like let's be real. They're getting paid millions and millions of dollars every year to like go out and play a game, which is all fine and good, but feel like they're most of them are pretty sheltered individuals tory hunter 
um, was also a raging homophobe, but he was fun to watch too. So <laughs> I don't know if I mean, anyone's asked Bryce who he voted for, but oh, I don't I think don't, I want to know. It's <laughs> a clown question, bro. Yeah, that is a clown question, bro. Don't pull the curtain back. <laughs> Bryce, you were so good. <laughs> All right, Zach, thank you for being the second guest thank on Tipping so Pitches. Much. It's been a pleasure, y'all. If the Nationals somehow miraculously come back and win the World Series, or just cut this whole thing. Or if they get bounced. <laughs> Uh, We'll have you on later in the summer to discuss the goings-on. Wonderful. Later in the summer. It's fall. (laughs) Later in the winter to discuss the goings-on. Well, that was fun and depressing. It's sort of interesting to look at fans of other teams that are really sad because usually I just look at fans of my team that are really sad and I surround myself with fans of my team that are really sad. It's like a collective effort, you know? But anyway, we just wanted to wrap up with just our favorite moments of this postseason so far. Alex, what stood out to you the most? Uh, Well, I mentioned to you before we started the podcast that the Red Sox-Astros game yesterday was an absolute joy. That was an incredible baseball game between two really amazing teams. And you mentioned to me that like it's pretty incredible that the Red Sox are like by far and away one of the best teams in baseball and still look absolutely outmatched to these playoffs. <laughs> like there is such I feel like there's the league is really top heavy right now, right? Yeah. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's just like that the most most of the baseball money is coming in from like local T V contracts and and these teams have more money just because they are viewed more and they're in bigger markets. I, I really don't know what it is. That would take much more analysis. But the Red Sox are fucking loaded. Yeah. And they just look bad. Yeah, like, they, they look like they have glaring issues everywhere up and down the roster. And I'm like, thank God the Mets didn't sneak into the playoffs this year because they would have gotten embarrassed. It's like, well, we're like, they look like they have glaring issues when you compare them with the rest of the teams. And really, it's like, they could use another starting pitcher <laughs> or two. And the rest of it's like totally fine. So that game was I think top to bottom amazing and it was like four and a half hours long too and I couldn't look away from the TV so anyone out here who's like baseball games are too long they're boring it's like just just go watch the replay of this game we had Verlander coming in and Ben Intendi promptly hitting the home run <laughs> off of him that was glorious and there was and the Devers inside the, the Devers inside the park home run it was yeah. amazing Josh Reddick got the winning hit basically and then he went off in the locker room afterwards in, yep. some, in a nice American flag Speedo. Yeah. And he was getting beer sprayed all over him. I was like, no wonder his hair gets so dirty. He just does that on a nightly basis. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, that was pretty beautiful. What about you? Something that stood out for you? Well, for me, it has to be the Harper home run, the FU home run. Yeah. And I wrote a little bit about this on our uh, quasi blog, but also yeah. where we host most of these podcasts. So if you don't know. Well, yeah, it's new. It is new. We've recently launched tippingpitches.atavist.com dot com a t a v i s t is atavist in case you're trying to look it up put that but, put that link in the description yeah we'll put the link in the description but i wrote a quick just a little quick piece the anatomy of an fu home run and essentially what it means is that bryce harper was like yo i'm the fucking man right here like i'm hitting a home run and i'm gonna pimp it and no one's gonna care because i'm bryce harper and he basically embodied the theory that if you don't want to have someone watch a home run against you then don't give up a home run <laughs> He was like living his best life, living that theory. And just watching that, he crushed it, man. I, like the gifts that came out of it, it's just beauty. 
we haven't really talked very much about Bryce Harper this year, I think, in part because he was injured for a big chunk of when we were doing this podcast for like all of August, basically. And I'm so glad that we get to talk about him now. And I really hope that we get to talk about him beyond this afternoon because it's going to yeah. be sad not to not to get to watch his him in all his glory and his hair flips and yeah. and just everything. So I'm like weirdly pulling for the Nats so I can see a little bit more Harper. Uh, <laughs> I, I love the flip-flop that you've done is like I, <laughs> the Nats are going to win it all, but I really hope they don't. But like I did predict that they're going to win and I kind of am pulling for them, but like that would destroy me so I really hope that that doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm a, such a walking contradiction. But anyway, a couple other things cuz we're pretty much out of time. I just want to say that Kenley Jansen Cutter, god damn, dude. That should be rated X. Yeah. Like, that is illegal, what he did to Paul Goldschmidt to end that series. Like, it's going 95, and it's literally just taking a hard left turn. Oh, my God. It and, was, like, straight out of his hand. It was, like, it was like straight down the middle of the plate for six inches and then just hard left turn. <laughs> In general, just being able to see Kenley used more because the Dodgers went from winning every single game by 10 runs to losing every single game by 10 runs, so... Kenley really didn't get a lot of work towards the end of the season. So seeing him used in these high leverage situations in the postseason has been an absolute treat because he is incredible. And I love his weird, quirky little leg kick slash he changes it. He changes sometimes. it all the time. And it's like, amazing. <laughs> You're doing this because you used to be a catcher, I guess, and there's he, no value in consistency in your pitching motion for you. But yeah, He did like the Kershaw wind up the other day, just randomly so in the middle of an at-bat. Yeah. And then my third thing has to be in the NL wildcard game. Nolan Arenado made a diving stop against an absolutely roped Paul Goldschmidt ground ball, knocked it down, got up, looked the runner on third back, and then gunned him out at first base. And just like watching those two titans clash, watching Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, two titans of baseball for people who are fans like on a day-to-day basis, but two guys that don't get enough burn in the national media and from the casual fan. Just watching those two guys make plays on each other, it was literally like watching an unstoppable force meet an immovable object yeah. in real life. Yeah, no, those two are wonderful. And I do, I mean, the Dodgers are going to win this series, but I'm bummed that we won't get to see uh, Goldschmidt more. The Dodgers um, already won this series. <laughs> I'm uh since the Dodgers won this series, I am bummed that we won't get to see Goldschmidt more on a uh, a national platform. Um but I do want to in the in yesterday's uh, D-backs Dodgers game, there was like just a string of really just wild unpredictable stuff right there and I think it was like the 7th inning or something like that when Daniel Descalso hit a home run for the D-backs and I was like Oh, because, of course, he's the one who's going to bring them back in this. And then, like, a play or two later, Cody Bellinger made an incredible, like, diving uh, over the rail. play over the rail, yeah, and it was wonderful. And then Austin Barnes came in and hit a home run. I'm like, stop. I, I don't have time to tweet about all these things before the next weird thing happens. We need to hire, we need to hire a social media intern. Yeah, we really do. Also, the Yankees-Indian series, all the way through, top to bottom, just been wonderful to watch it's been so weird it's like just weird baseball comes to a head right here and oh my god it's just been it's been wonderful watching Aaron Judge just like in the playoffs (laughs) ah there's so many players who were about to lose yeah after yesterday and today who will just like and tomorrow I guess who we just won't see again these playoffs and yeah I'm kind of bummed so well all right we are just about out of time so Clearly, we're enjoying ourselves. I hope y'all are enjoying yourselves as well. Please uh, share, like, rate us on iTunes, uh, like us on Facebook. We now have a Facebook page, so big things are happening. Go to our website, 
Um, get in contact with us if you need any of that information or you just yeah. want to give us some feedback. Or you just want to chat or if you want, if you want to come on the podcast. Get us up on LinkedIn. MySpace. <laughs> we got a MySpace. <laughs> Aim until it shuts down no. in a few weeks. Yeah, we need to talk about that next time. <laughs> but uh, all right. Thank you all for listening so much. Uh, enjoy the rest of postseason baseball until we talk to you all next. Yeah, we'll see you next time. An immovable object. No. It was literally like watching an immovable... <laughs> <laughs>